Did you know that you don't need to have irreversible surgery to have the most effective form of contraception going? The Implanon, also known as the Nexplanon or Jadel, may be right for you. To make things confusing, Hannah's guest on today's show is Hannah, who has used Implanon for many years. They'll chat about the pros, cons, costs, side effects, and effectiveness of the implant. Hi guys, today we are discussing the etanogestral contraceptive implant, which is commonly called the Implanon. Now the Implanon is the size of a matchstick, about four centimeters long, and it's inserted under the skin where it remains for up to three years to prevent pregnancy. The Implanon is a type of hormonal contraception and it contains a type of progesterone that's called etanogestral. Some hormonal contraceptives contain a second hormone, estrogen, but the Implanon does not. In the overwhelming majority of cases, the Implanon is inserted into the inner aspect of the upper arm on the non-dominant side. So if you're right-handed, it goes in the left arm and vice versa. The Implanon works by inhibiting ovulation, which means it stops the release of an egg from the ovary each cycle. It also thickens the cervical mucus so that sperm can't swim through. So if you guys have listened to the episode, The Overview of Contraception, I explain what the Pearl Index is. Basically, this is the way we compare how effective different types of contraception are. Generally, the lower the Pearl Index, the more effective the contraceptive is. When we look at the Pearl Index, we also want to know what it is with perfect use and what it is with real life or typical use. Happily, the Pearl Index with the Implanon is pretty much zero. And when we look at it with typical use, it's only 0.05. What this means is that even in real life situations, it remains 99.95% effective at preventing pregnancy. So basically, pregnancy is very rare. To discuss the Implanon in a bit more detail, I'm joined by Hannah. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, guys. This is going to get a bit confusing, maybe, because you're called Hannah. My name's Hannah. We're all called (laughs) Hannah. (laughs) So sorry in advance. Um, But you're quite a seasoned Implanon user, would you say? I would say yes. Yeah. How many Implanons have you had over the time? I think I'm probably on number five. Number five. Wow. My age might betray me. (laughs) You actually look super young. I'm surprised you've had time to have five implants. That's impressive. Cool. So before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of why I use it and what the implants all about, I just thought we would get to know you a bit. Sure. <laughs> Can you just tell the listeners and me, because we've only just met, a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I am 35. I suppose a bit of background about me is that my mum is um, a women's health nurse and so she Um, had a lot of influence over me growing up in terms of um, educating me and my friends about contraception, sexual health, those kind of things, but also I think made me probably a bit more educated when I was younger about what the different options were and that's how I found the Implanon. Awesome. So can you just talk us through how you came to the choice of Implanon when it came to contraception for you? Yeah, sure. So... Um, It may not come across that way, but I'm really useless when it comes to keeping track of things. (laughs) I I actually have to put um, a strategy in in place to make sure that I don't forget things. So I use my calendar religiously, for example. But when Mm -hmm. I was younger in particular, I just very forgetful. So the idea of having to take a tablet every day, for example, would end up being, oh, have I even had it today kind of business or forgetting about it completely so my natural personality is that things such as taking 
um, a tablet every day. Even now, if I'm on antibiotics, I can struggle sometimes yeah. to remember if I've had my tablets today. So just in general, I'm a little bit useless when it comes to certain things. So I had to put strategies in place so I don't lose my stuff like my car keys, my handbag, my purse. Yeah. <laughs> go go travelling and get out of my routine and it yeah. can be fun and games. Um, so that's, I think, when I was younger, considering what my different options were, that was definitely something that wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. Um, so then it became, well, what are the other options? Because I think that's probably the most common option is that people take the pill yep. and that's easiest, probably most commonly known. But at the same time, it, I knew that wasn't going to work for me and I did try. But the anxiety that comes over you when you've realised you haven't taken it or yep. when you're trying to, um, you know, you make you take another tablet because you realise you've forgotten, but then just having that worry in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that's one of the, I guess, biggest advantages about the Implanon is that it largely removes that human error <laughs> component <laughs> and that's what we counsel patients about too it's like if you do have like a lot of people do like a kind of busy life where time zone changes or your job changes or you know shifts whatever it's really good to have a contraceptive option that you can just set and forget like you literally don't need to think about it that's exactly right um and I guess the other benefit is that it lasts a long time so it's not like you need to yeah, it's quite um, cheap um, in terms of when you're thinking about when I was younger, for example, um, trying to find the money to pay for the pill every month would mm. also be a consideration. So yeah. it's definitely something that's significantly cheaper overall. Yeah. Do you mind – how much did you pay for the Implanon? Um, so generally – um, what happens is that you'll have an initial consultation with your GP. They'll go through the options that you have and we'll give you a script if that's what you've decided. Mm -hmm. um, in my experience, you then need to go and get the script filled. Um, so you've got a like initial consultation with the doctor, whether or not you have that bulk build is, is a question. Um, and then the script itself, I think it's usually around $50, but sometimes the the one of the issues I've come across is that chemists don't necessarily have them in stock so you'll have to wait right. until they get them in then you take the script back with the filled script back to the doctor and have a long a long consultation to actually get the implant inserted yeah so I guess yeah some potential differences in cost depending on where you access the insertion certainly where I work because it's a publicly funded clinic there's no cost associated with the appointment to get the script or the appointment to have it inserted but obviously because GPs are private practitioners they're well within their rights to charge for the consult as well mm -hmm. um, the implant on device itself so it should cost because it's sub subsidized by the PBS mm. it should cost around $40. For some people who have a healthcare card, it can be as cheap as $6 though. So, yeah, so when I was at university, I had a healthcare card. So that's yeah. all it cost me. So yeah, it's super affordable. And I guess there are people obviously who are living in Australia without a Medicare card who can't access PBS subsidized medications. And for those people, I think the cost is around $170 on a private script. Yeah. So again, over a three-year period, pretty affordable yes yeah so and you mentioned that you had tried the pill before the implant yes. how long did you try that for I, so I had really bad acne when I was a teenager so I think the initial first pill that I was on was actually more for to help assist with the acne Got you. so I was probably a couple of years maybe three or four years before that I suppose 
the effectiveness of that wasn't really there for what I needed it for. But then obviously adding in the other reason why you're going to be using contraception. And yeah. It became obvious that it wasn't the right choice. Yeah. Okay. And do you mind if I ask how, how old you were when you had your first implant on? Put I in? would have been about 19. 19. Okay. And was that scary like as a 19 year old being like this is going to be my body for three years or did it not bother Um, you it didn't really bother me but I think the whole process of going through it um, that was quite daunting itself because how they go about doing it is that you have a um, a local anesthetic Um, they then and I made the mistake of opening the box that the implant on comes in so you can actually see (laughs) you're laughing because you know exactly what it looks like it's in a little tray and it's like quite a large needle for the because I think the implant on it's about the size of a match and it has to pass through the end of the needle. So you can actually see the needle in its packaging, which yeah. I wouldn't recommend you do. <laughs> but they, for my skin, is quite a bit tough apparently. So they cut the skin to um, insert the implant on in and then they had – because you can either, from what I understand, they can use the needle to insert it under the skin directly, but they were having issues doing that for me. Right. Um cut the skin, insert it under and then come back with little steri strips and a yeah. bandage to help mitigate the bruising. Yeah, that's super interesting because so I've I insert implants regularly at work and I've never had to do an incision to insert <laughs> one. Was that the first one that you needed that? Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. But I think it also might be to do with the experience of the person who's doing it as well. Potentially, yeah. So in general, the the device does come preloaded with the implant on in it. So yeah, you're right. You can see the needle in there. So it's if you're if you're a bit of a queasy person, it's probably best just to leave it in the box and don't ever look at it. And yeah, we do pop a little bit of local anesthetic in, uh, which is kind of, well, again, I've not had an implant on inserted. Mm. Would you say that's the most uncomfortable part of the procedure? Yeah, it's just a bit, um, well, it's like any needle, um, but once it's taken effect, it's just more that someone's there like tugging, doing what they need to do. So you can feel movement and a bit of pressure, but, but no pain as such. Yeah. And did you have any barriers at all from doctors wanting to put an implant on in or did they try and convince you to get something else or? No, I think um, just the only um, thing I would I would think is that they, you know, generally when you go in to get a new script or, you know, changing contraception, they'll make sure that you're up to date with all your other, like your pap smears, um, STI checks and the like. So generally they'll want to make sure that that's all taken care of beforehand. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's a thorough GP that does all of that. (laughs) That's awesome. And did, obviously you've said your mum played a really big part in you, you know, having the information to make this decision for yourself. Did like what your friends use come into it as well or not really? It, it did, but um, I think I was probably one of the – and it's really interesting because I'm one of the only people that I know that actually has an implant on. So when people figure out that that's the case, I generally get asked quite a few questions yeah. um, because they haven't had any personal exposure or experience themselves. So um, it's, it's quite interesting. But friends, um, they're generally my friends were using the pill. Yeah. Uh, so I was probably um, – unusual in that respect yeah yeah I think it's still super common in Australia the pill remains you know more popular certainly than the implant on Um, but we're trying I guess increasingly to encourage people to access what we call larks which are these long-acting reversible contraceptives because we know they're so much more effective and people can just (laughs) chill out and forget you know that you don't have to worry as you said about missing pills or anything like that so 
Yeah, lots of advantages. Just, I guess, to add to other good things about the Implanon, um, not everyone can have estrogen. So um, it's a really good option for people who can't have the combined pill or use the NuvaRing. For some people, it does make periods less painful. Did you find that at all? Um, I very one of those very lucky people that's never really had much cramping or anything like that so (laughs) um that hasn't really been a consideration but it's generally um made them much lighter if I even have one at all yeah uh so I would say given that I have had quite a few of them now um other than initially uh, when I first had the implant on put in I would say that I have significantly lighter or shorter duration periods or none at all yeah Okay. And that's, um, that's super common. Yeah. With the implant on, because one of the actions that progesterone has is it thins the lining of the uterus. So this is why we often see that it's, you know, pretty much unheard of to get heavier periods. <laughs> Certainly lighter periods is what we expect, but they can be irregular. And we will talk about, I guess that in a moment, just in terms of, obviously you said you've had five implant ons in mm-hmm. total and generally we put them in the non-dominant arm. Have you had them all in the, put same, in the same side? Yeah. So I know you guys can't see this, but I've got a little collection of... Yeah, little scars. Little there. scars. Yeah. All in the same place. Yeah. Um, but also I think part of that is that when you get one taken out, you have the same one, a new one put back in the same place. Yeah, exactly. Just to mitigate the scarring as well. Yeah. Some people, I guess, can have more complicated removals that can be a bit more involved. Did you ever have any issues at all with... No, I haven't experienced anything like that. Yeah. And some doctors too, after three or four implants in the one arm, they they do recommend moving it to the other side. Was that a conversation that was had or were they happy there wasn't much scarring or... Uh, and that hasn't really been an issue before either. Yeah. Well, that's good. I guess if you're not having any any issues when they remove them, probably why fix what's not broken? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and just so people can have a bit of a practical idea about the insertion process. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the local anaesthetic and then it's inserted. How long does it normally take for you to have one put in? So I suppose the time to have the local anaesthetic take um, effect once that's been done the insertion itself is really quite quick but then just making sure that this so they will put um I think at one point in time I've had maybe some dissolvable stitches or the little steri strips over the top and then a bandage to help prevent bruising um so I would say in and out in an hour Yeah. yeah yeah that's sounds pretty standard yeah so it's good because um it's over pretty quickly really and if you know I would always say if you're worried having your first one done bring you know a friend or a family member someone with you who can support you through it but in general people tolerate the procedure really well I think my sister came to the first one but she was also a nursing student so Uh, she's just interested in watching yeah (laughs) learn a thing or two and just in terms of the care immediately after like in the days following did you experience any significant bruising or pain or anything like that so the bruising is quite it's it's significant I wouldn't Mm. say it's insignificant so the insertion site itself it will be um, bruising in that general area but you find also that up further up the arm probably from where the end of it is there's usually a bruise there as well from after it's been inserted it's so it's probably a good you know five or six inches of area that's bruised um so you have the insertion site itself is usually just 
painful because you've been cut and it's healing, mm-hmm. but then the bruising up the arm. So it can, like, you have a bandage that you're asked to keep on for the first 24 hours to help mitigate that bruising, but then it generally takes at least a week for it to disappear completely. Yeah. Um, so in I, my personal preference is to get it done over winter time when I'm generally wearing clothing that would cover it so it's yeah. not so obvious because you it's occasionally get people in, like, come up to you in the office when they see something on your arm uh-huh. and asking you questions. It's like... I'm happy to talk about it, but you're going to feel really awkward. Yeah. Oh, what do I think you've been like hit or something really awful? Uh, yeah, that's a good tip. Wintertime insertion. I like that. Mm. That's just, you know, you, you learn after a while as yeah. well. And, and also like if you're a fan of going swimming and things, yeah. uh, you want to make sure that you don't, you know, it doesn't get infected and like, cause it is, it is a wound. Yeah, exactly. So really important to keep it clean and dry. And as you said, the bandage stays on just for 24 hours, but the dressing and the steri strips do stay on for a few days. So it is important to plan if you've got any, you know, balls or something fancy to go to, your big bruise might, <laughs> might spoil that for you. Yeah. But yeah. I would also say there's a really big variability in how much people bruise with insertion. So some people will get really minimal bruising. Some people will have more significant bruising. Um, but just so you're aware that that can happen. Now, I'm presuming given that this is implanton number five, you aren't having really horrible side effects from it or anything or you wouldn't have kept going back? No, I think initially was probably the the, the worst of the side effects that I experienced. So um, I had a, like periods quite very, oh, so it's very irregularly initially and at times I think it felt as though there was no break. So it was yeah. just bleeding you know, for a month, maybe two. Um, I can't remember the specifics. It was such a long time ago, but that's probably the worst side effect. And I have mm. talked to other people who've had a similar side effects, but nothing else that could clearly be um, linked to the implant on itself. So, for example, I mentioned before I had bad acne that wasn't exacerbated or made any worse by the implant on itself, for example, or um, I haven't noticed any changes of, like, mood swings or... Yeah. you know, gaining weight or things like that. Yeah. I think because anything that I had like that was, I, you know, had noticed already in line with my cycles before I had the implant on in, it wasn't any worse or any better afterwards except for the, the periods being much lighter. Yeah, okay. You're like, you're like the typical patient that we, <laughs> when we counsel people, we're like bleeding, like irregular bleeding is the most common reason people do have the implant on removed early mm-hmm. and it's good I mean that you are able to persist with it because not everyone does that and we can't always say you know it will get better with time for some people it does for some people it doesn't but obviously in your case it has become more manageable so that's really good just some stats to help people because obviously difficult bleeding is really a headache for some people um, so I just want people to have an idea of what the percentages are of bleeding patterns with an implant on. So about 22% will have no bleeding at all after insertion. About 33% will have infrequent bleeding. So they define that as being less than three episodes in three months. About 20% will have a fairly standard number of amounts of bleeding so three to five episodes of bleeding in three months six percent will have frequent bleeding so more than five episodes in three months and then there's a group 
of about 18% who do experience prolonged bleeding, which is defined as being over 14 days. Mm. And I would say I fell into that last group um, when I initially had it put in. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because I have been on it for so long, that hasn't happened again since. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and as I said, so 11% of people actually do stop using the implant on because of side effects like that. It's so good you were able to persist because we know about – 50% with troublesome bleeding will improve after about four months, but obviously that leaves a significant percentage that also won't. Mm -hmm. So there are some other methods we can manage troublesome bleeding with the implant on in. Did you ever need any tablet medications to help mitigate those side effects? I don't think I um, pursued uh, alternatives, I suppose. I think I just went into it with my eyes wide open, knowing what the side effects would be and, or could be, and just thought I will give it a try, say for six months and see how it goes, which I know can be a long time for some people, Mm. but at the same time, because it just, the benefits outweighed the side effects, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, it's so true. Hey, like if you are informed and educated and you know what to expect, you're like, well, I knew this was going to happen. But if you go into it thinking I'm going to have no period when this goes in and then you bleed for a month, Mm. you know, obviously that's going to be really stressful and scary and you'll probably want it taken out. So yeah, I think have obviously a robust discussion with your GP or whoever's putting it in about what to expect because, um, yeah, the more we know, the more informed decision we can make. Interesting too, you mentioned uh, acne because this is obviously something people do get concerned about with hormonal contraception. We know a lot of the pills and Nuvarin can potentially help acne. Um, There was one study done that had about 630 participants and they watched them over a three-year period, so from implant on insertion for the three years that it lasted. And about 12% of those people did report acne as being a side effect. But interestingly, for a lot of them, if they had acne present at the time of insertion, for them about 59% it either improved or disappeared. So mm-hmm. obviously that's quite conflicting information. So there's no causal evidence that implant on worsens acne, but again, it's something that some people experience. So we usually um, just warn people about that too. Did you experience any of like the really common, less significant stuff, like a bit of breast tenderness, anything like that? I think nausea. I generally would have um, like in, in a monthly cycle, regardless of the implant on, I would have bloating, so reten- water retention and bloating, occasional cramping, but not very often. And uh, just general like moodiness, more teariness, that kind of thing. Yep. But nothing that I could directly relate to the implant. These kind of uh, symptoms that I would have of just my general cycle, regardless of having that in. Yeah. So I couldn't say that it, it was made worse or better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much about what your normal baseline is too. Like, I guess it's about what trade-offs you're willing to make. So if you have really horrendously heavy periods and the implant on fixes that, but you have to trade off, you know, a bit of nausea for the first couple of weeks, you know, it's, it's up to the individual really about what's going to work. Some people do report weight gain, but again, um, it's not a contraceptive. We have good evidence that it is caused by it. Obviously, there's lots of different reasons people can gain weight and hormonal contraception is sometimes implicated in that discussion. But with implant on, there's not direct causal evidence that it does increase weight. All right, so we might move on to some questions from Instagram that some people have just sent in. The first one 
is I thought about getting an implant on, but I'm worried people can see it. Has this been a problem for you at all? And do family members or work colleagues notice? So I think other than when you're, you're healing from when you first have it in, because that's more obvious, um, you couldn't really – I'm just putting my arm up in the yeah. air so I can <laughs> wave it around a bit, but you couldn't really tell it's there. Yeah. Um, the There is – um, a little bit of very, very small marks of scarring where it has been put in, but that's nothing significant. I think, for example, if I had a fake tan, you could probably be able to see yeah. it because as with any scars, it's not going to take yeah. the colour on or anything like that. But no, it's not that obvious at all. Yeah. I think in general, like, you really have to be looking for it to yeah. find it. Like yeah. obviously if you're the one who has the implant on in your arm, you can feel it mm. and you're aware of it, but you can't just look at anyone and be like, oh, they've got an implant on. And also it's like on the inside. So yeah. you would have to have your arm up in a very unusual position or you know up in the air for it to even be on like yeah. obvious or um, in your line of sight yeah I did just want to comment on this question because I think it's it's an interesting question and obviously you know people are concerned about people knowing their private choices when it comes to contraception and part of what comes into that is this whole concept of reproductive coercion and this is one way that domestic violence can manifest and that's basically when individuals are forced to either have babies when they would prefer not to or they're forced into using contraception if they want to fall pregnant so there's lots of ways that this can manifest and for some people having a really discreet form of contraception is in their best interest in terms of safety. So I guess in that vein, the implanon at the end of the day, it's not 100% discreet because you can feel it. So if, you know, a, a partner was looking for it to check, you know, you can you can feel it. So in certain situations, that is a downside. But for the average, you know, friend, colleague, family member, whatever, it's, it's not an issue. Now... This question just says, how did you deal with bleeding at random times? <laughs> and it's funny. Um, so one of my housemates asked me about it the other day and she's like, oh, what if you're wearing white and things like that? And I think part of it's just being prepared because you, I think even if you weren't necessarily using a contraception, most women will carry, you know, if you were looking most people's hand, most women's handbags, you'll find that they're carrying some kind of tampons or pads in there anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So part of it's just being prepared, but at the same time, I, I'm not a kind of person that would have any issues, and I would expect my partner to not have any issues with, you know, blood. I know some people are quite funny about that and have, mm. you know, certain thoughts around that. But I, I suppose, yeah, being prepared is probably the easiest way. Yeah. I would say though that after the initial bleeding subsided, uh, now my periods are so light that I probably would use this you know like the mini tampons which I know some of the women listening are like oh my god I wish that was me yeah um, but I don't even need a normal size like a, a regular tampon because it's too higher absorbency so that's how yeah you know um uh, light it is and how it doesn't really impact me I wouldn't even you know necessarily know um at the time until you know you go to the bathroom and you notice it it's yeah. not that, really that obvious it's yeah. good it's good you've had a good experience <laughs> so one poor girl when so the my millennial money facebook did a shout out for me which is how you came to being on this episode yeah. but basically did a, fa a shout out in their facebook group just asking 
for people who were willing to talk about their experience with different contraceptives. And this one girl just commented, Implanon ruined my life, not even being dramatic. And then she wrote underneath, maybe a little dramatic. (laughs) But like, I just want to emphasize, obviously it's so good that Hannah's had this amazing experience of Implanon and it's been effective and, you know, suited her lifestyle for so many years. That's obviously not going to be every single person's experience. So just keep that in mind. We're not saying that just because Hannah's had a great experience, this isn't going to be necessarily what everyone experiences. But um, yeah, overall, it's it's a well-tolerated medication. So the next question says, these long-term hormones freak me out. Will it take ages for me to get pregnant after it's taken out? Well, I'm probably leave you to answer that <laughs> yeah, one. Um, just because I can't say I've, I haven't, I've had time off from it before, but not with the intention to fall pregnant. Yeah. So, but from what I understand, the time frames in terms of when the fertility returns is, is quite short. Yeah, that's exactly right. So unlike some other contraceptives that you can have a delayed return to fertility with, the classic example being the depot injection. Most people who have an implant on removed, they will actually ovulate within about six weeks and 15% will be pregnant within 90 days if that's their, like if they're not going on to use another contraceptive. So the hormone levels after the removal of the implanon return to normal in a very rapid time frame. So in general, it's not something that you need to be concerned about with implanon. Again, obviously there's so many things that impact impact on someone's ability to fall pregnant so if you have an implant on put in when you're 16 and have it taken out when you're 45 obviously you're not you know you're you're not as fertile as you would have been that you know your fertility naturally changes with time so there's that to think about and then there's you know other medical conditions you know lots of different things come into that conversation but in general if you remain well and healthy and the implant on is removed you should return expect a return to your normal baseline fertility pretty quickly. The next question is, I'm using the pill, but I'm going overseas for a year and I want something that will last so I don't have to pay to see a doctor for scripts. Smart person. How do I go about changing from one contraceptive to another? So I guess I'll probably answer this one. (laughs) At the end of the day, if you're on the pill and want to go on the Implanon, that's great. You don't need to do anything specific. If you've been taking your pill reliably, we can be fairly certain that you're not pregnant. So that's good. We can just put an implant on in and carry on. Um, I would suggest just with this situation, it's probably a good idea to get the implant on inserted if you can a couple of months before you're due to go overseas, because if you do have any problems in those first few months obviously you want to be able to access um, your doctor here before you go if it is that financial reason that's the barrier for you seeing a doctor overseas that would be my only other comment have you ever had an implant on break or bend or move no I haven't had any issues with it before um it's, it's, I know that I think I, I did have a question at one point because, you know, if you, especially if you play sports, for example, and you're worried about injuries to the site where it's inserted, um, I haven't had any problems with it whatsoever. Yeah, that's good. Um, in general, I guess the most common thing is that it can get a little bit bent, but we even don't see that very often, to be honest. In very rare cases, it can break in half. So if it's just bent, we do nothing, we leave it in. It's still going to do its job. If it's broken, particularly if in lots of in a few pieces, you know, usually we would say maybe get it removed and you would need someone quite experienced to do a complicated removal like that. But I just want to stress that that's very, very rare. 
the other part of that question, I guess, was I've heard it can move. And I guess if you put on weight with the implant on in, that can make an insertion more difficult because it's just deeper in the tissue. Um, but it is inserted very superficially. So it should be a fairly quick procedure to remove it. Some people have heard these like crazy stories about it ending up in people's lungs and whatever. <laughs> but, wow. I mean, I have seen a very impressive picture of an implant on in a pulmonary artery, which is like a big vessel in the lungs. Um, but that was a very weird story. Apparently the, the person had been playing with it all the time. And I don't, yeah, I don't know all the details, but it was, it was published in a paper as a, as a topic of interest, but no one can really work out how that happened. <laughs> well, I can, I can guarantee that it hasn't moved very far. <laughs> yeah. And that's the good thing. You can always feel it. So, you know, if it's in the right place. Um, the other thing is the smart people that design the implant on, they make it radiopaque. So if you get an x-ray, we can see where it is. So you can't just lose it in your body and, you know, never find it. We can see it on imaging. So that's good. Another question was, I'm currently pregnant and my GP has started talking to me about contraception. Can I use the implant on straight after I have a baby? Yes. <laughs> that's a very easy one. Basically, implant on is safe for people who are postpartum and breastfeeding so you don't need to worry your gp is awesome if they're talking to you about that proactively because it's always good to have a plan in place and i would recommend actually that you fill your script take your implant on with you and get the junior doctors on the ward to insert it before you leave but not everywhere will do that but it's worth a shot so another exchange question, actually, I'm on exchange in Germany and I realize that my implant on will be due for removal a month before I come back to Australia. How bad is it if I just leave it in until then? I'm broken. Another one that doesn't want to pay to see a doctor. You're really right. So it's one of my stories. Um, I was because I've lived overseas for two years and I, they give you a little card when you have it inserted that has the date of insertion and the date you need it replaced. And I kept it in my purse. I don't know why. Um, but my purse was stolen. So I actually had oh. to call up from the UK to the doctor here to get the date because of when it needed to be replaced because I had no idea. Oh, and interesting. this is before I put it in my diary, which yeah. I've done now. Um, so I understand the because I had the, the panic. I was like, I don't know when it needs to be yeah. fixed up. I don't want to be stuck. So I can completely understand. Yeah, for sure. What I, what I would say to that is... It's not going to kill you. Like if you leave it in for past the three-year mark, it's not going to be harmful to you. Obviously, we wouldn't recommend just leaving it in there forever. You need to have it taken out. But if it's going to be a month and you can't afford to see a doctor, you can just leave it in, but you can't rely on it for its contraceptive effect. So if you're going to be sexually active, you just need to use condoms or something else to make sure that you don't get pregnant. So it can stay in, have it removed when you come home and just use condoms in the meantime. So in summary, Implanon is a safe, highly effective and completely reversible contraceptive that does not affect your fertility in the long term. It's extremely cheap and accessible through GPs, sexual health or family planning clinics and some youth health services. As with any medication, there is the possibility of side effects and it may not be safe for absolutely everybody. So it's always important to have a good discussion with your doctor about your personal situation. If you have any questions or comments relating to any of the content we've covered today, please feel free to join our Facebook group and chat about it there. Thanks so much, Hannah, for being with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
You to you, you to me, you to us is a podcast for general discussion only. Nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice and does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor. If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast. Podcast.